Good morning. Well, I want to just say thank you to Pastor Larry, too, for passing the baton for all that he's done. And, uh, you know, I have really appreciated him and come to uh, appreciate him so much in the last few weeks and the ministry that he's doing. There are churches that need exactly what he's doing, amen? And helping, helping churches that are going through transition uh, because, uh, because it's the natural course of history to have to go through transitions, Amen. And we need to focus on God's word, and we need to sometimes refocus in order to be able to do that. And so I'm just thankful for Pastor Larry's ministry and for all that he's doing with that. But more than that, just even thinking through the words of this last song, I'm thankful for the fact that the whole reason we're here is because Jesus paid the debt. Amen? And that's why we're here. And so I just uh, appreciate the opportunity to praise the Lord. Let's begin, uh, as we look into God's word, with, uh, with that mentality in mind, with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray to you that you would prepare our hearts, not to hear my message, but to hear your message from your word. That's what we want, Lord. We want to, to walk away changed, understanding more of who you are, and what you've done for us, and what you will continue to do for us. And we, we begin today, Lord, with hungry hearts. And I just pray that you would fill us with your word today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Wow, Heritage is definitely going through some transitions, right? Yeah. This is a big transition. I know it is. It's an exciting time. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun, but it's a scary thing too, isn't it? And, and for us as a great family, we're going through transition. And uh, in fact, we're, we were in the process. We signed on the house uh, on Friday. So um, hopefully we'll be in there, Lord willing, by Wednesday. And so we're moving closer to here, and we're all excited about that, and with school transitions and different transitions going on in life, we're excited about that. It's an exciting time, but it can also be a scary time uh, as, as you go through, through uh, things like that. And so as I was thinking about all the transition that you guys are going through and all the transition that we're going through, I could not help but be drawn to the book of Joshua. And so for the next weeks and months, I'd like, to, I'd like us to study the book of Joshua. And part of the reason I say that is, is because Joshua is a very optimistic book, is it not? I mean, it's one of those high point books. Things are, exciting things are happening in the book of Joshua. Uh, rivers are crossed. Walls are miraculously torn down. Giants are slain. In fact, the entire solar system is going to stop just to see how God provides the redemption for his people, right? And, and, uh, and it's just an exciting book to see what God is doing. Um, but at the same time, it all begins with a leadership transition, a very scary time, a time to refocus and, uh, and see what, uh, what the Lord's about to do. So it's an exciting book, but it begins with that nerve-wracking atmosphere of a leadership transition. In fact, let's, uh, let's look at Joshua chapter 1, and I'll, I'll read verses 1 through 6. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... It came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. Um, as I said to Moses, verse 4, From the wilderness and the, this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites into the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. 
As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you, nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. What an introduction to this new adventure in the life of the, to the history of Israel. But as I read that, I, I realize that there are valuable lessons for me as your new servant leader that God was teaching Joshua. But I think there are also lessons for all of us as a congregation, seeing what God is doing and, and, uh, and seeing how he's going to fulfill the promises that he has given to, to, to us. But in order to understand this, uh, this in the context a little bit, we have to go back to understand a little bit of what's going on in, in the really the history of the entire Old Testament. Um, so let's catch up a little bit on the historical background. I'm not going to preach from Genesis to Deuteronomy today, but I do want to just lightly go over those um, because I want to make sure that we understand what's going on when Joshua begins. So let's just take a brief uh, history through, uh, through uh, a timeline. This is a, just the book of Genesis right here. It obviously begins with creation. And, uh, and shortly into the book of Genesis, we come to Genesis chapter 12, which is a very key text where the Abrahamic covenant is given. Now, you're familiar with the, the story of the, uh, the Abrahamic covenant. There are really three elements to that. First, there's an element of descendants. Remember what God promised to Abraham? That he would have descendants as numerous as the stars. As numerous as the sand on, on, the, on the sea. Or not in the sea, but on the beach, I guess you'd say. But, uh, the, so there's this promise of descendants. Which, if you keep in mind how old Abraham was at the time, that's a huge promise. Right? And that his wife was barren. That's quite a promise. But God promised him that. God also promised this relationship of blessing. He blessed Abraham. And he said that I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And, and, uh, and so we see this relationship of blessing between Yahweh, the Lord, and his special people, Israel. But then there's a, a third uh, part of this, which is a specific land, a promised land. Now, when we get to the book of Joshua, we haven't reached all of that yet. So we're going to see where we are in the progress of this, because really these three elements of the Abrahamic covenant become the outline for the entire Pentateuch, which is uh, the first five books of the Bible. Usually we refer to them as the law. The rest of the entire book of Genesis focuses on one of those three points. Which is it? It's the descendants, exactly. In fact, Genesis is divided into segments based on genealogies. Why? Because it's all about how God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham. And you see these genealogies, and if you thought they were boring before, sometimes when you understand the context of, of Genesis, it's actually pretty exciting. And then we come to uh, the book of Leviticus, and the focus, uh, the focus changes. And now, back in Exodus 1, we find that the, they were growing in so many, so many descendants of, of Israel that Pharaoh was having a problem with that. He was afraid they would overthrow him. And now the focus becomes on, on this relationship of blessing. This relationship of blessing. This relationship between Yahweh and his people. And, and so it begins uh, with the story of the Exodus, the plagues, and as they cross the Red Sea. As we continue to read on in the book of Exodus, we find the Ten Commandments. Oftentimes we don't think of commandments as a blessing. We think of them as limitations. Isn't that true? But really, if we understand the heart of our God, when he gives us a command, that's a blessing, is it not? It's an exciting thing to know that we, guardrails might limit us, but we're glad that they're there, right? Especially if you've driven in California on, 
on Route 1 that's so curvy and you look over and there's a cliff there. Guardrails make me feel safe. But that's the way what God was giving them instruction on how to live in this blessed life that God was providing for them. And Leviticus is mostly Levitical law. It's instruction on how to maintain that relationship of blessing. Uh, then, as you, if you remember, uh, they didn't last too long with the Ten Commandments. They, they created their own uh, God or, or, or worship God in the image of a uh, golden calf. And so there was sin that, that uh, hinders the relationship with God, a thing we see all through the scriptures. But God provided the tabernacle, and he showed his presence to them. And so while they were in the wilderness, God's presence was made known to them in a very special way. See how all the focus is on that relationship of blessing between God and, and his people. Then we come to Numbers and Deuteronomy, and the focus once again shifts and starts to point towards issues re- regarding the promised land. It begins, uh, if you remember, with the first spy account. And this is where we begin to see the life of Joshua come into play. We're going to see how this connects in a, in a moment. We, we begin to see this because they, they're told that they can go into the promised land. Joshua and 11 other spies go into the land, not with the task of seeing whether or not they could could conquer it, because that was a promise from God, right? They went in with what purpose? Just to see the land so that they could motivate the people to go. But it ended up only two men, (coughs) only two men were willing to go into the land. Ten out of the twelve said, no way. And the people of Israel sided with the ten. And and that's where we begin to see uh, some things change in in the book of Numbers. And really, if we uh, we find that at that point they began a 40-year process of wandering in the desert. The purpose for that was so that all of the adults who, would, who were unwilling to go into the promised land when God had asked them to, they, that whole generation was actually going to die off so that the next generation could experience what was going to happen. There, and we find that, that that's why we have a census in, uh, Deutero- or, sorry, in uh, Numbers. We have another census at the end to show that everyone that was an adult at the beginning had passed away with two exceptions. Guess who they were? Joshua and Caleb. And so we see those two exceptions, two men who were willing to go into the promised land, and God said, you know what, I'm going to let you experience that. But for the rest, they had to wait to the next generation. And we, we see them wandering in the desert. But then we get towards the end of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy meaning second law. So the, the, the law in Deuteronomy focuses solely on when you enter the land, these are the instructions. When you get into the land, this is what you are to do. And so this instruction that's given to, to know how to, uh, to maintain the relationship with God in the promised land. But we come to the end of this part of the scriptures, and Moses dies. Right as you think you're ready to go into the promised land and see the fulfillment that started all the way back in Genesis 12, it's going to happen, Moses dies. I'm sure the hearts of many people sank within this context it's within this, it's within this context that we read Joshua 1, 1 to 6 Moses the servant of the Lord has died and Joshua who is an assistant to the servant, I don't know about you but if you're thinking of titles and really working for a title in your life, try being an assistant to a servant <laughs> that's not exactly some powerful title right at least he didn't, we don't think of it that way, but what I think we'll learn as we read through Joshua, that the, assistant, the, the title of being a, a, a servant is really the highest title we could look for. Amen? Is it not Jesus' title? Right? And Joshua is going to receive that title by the end of the book as well. An exciting title. 
for him to be called the servant of God. But we come here, and what issue has not really come to completion? Well, they have descendants. They have a relationship of blessing. In fact, in those 40 years, uh, the Bible says they never even had to, put, to resole their shoes. Imagine that. I mean, I have to resole my shoes or buy new shoes. This is what we do, right? Frequently, my son even more frequently. I don't know how he does it. Sorry. <laughs> but it's true. Never had to. I mean, God's presence was with them. But this issue of the promised land was still not realized yet. It's an exciting time, but a scary time. So now, imagine, put yourself in the shoes of Joshua for just a moment. And how scared would you be? I think he was probably scared. And the reason why God had to remind him to be strong and courageous multiple times in these verses is it, part of the reason for that is that he had big shoes to fill. When you think about it, he had witnessed God do miraculous things through Moses. He had witnessed God with the ten plagues of Egypt. You know, where they, they worship the nine great gods in Egypt, and one by one, God has, has a plague to show that he's more powerful than all of the great gods of Egypt. Oh, you worship Ra? Okay, I'll darken the sun, right? And, and God, one by one, just nails every one of those guys, showing that he is the supreme God, and Joshua witnesses that. They go across the Red Sea. There's something that they could see day in and day out. They could see a pillar of smoke or a pillar of fire, depending on the time of the day. They could visually see the presence of God. That's a, that's a hard act to, to follow, isn't it? And I'm sure that, that Joshua felt that, the weight of that. But I'd also say, I think probably what scared him the most at least it would have scared me the most, is the task. If you look at the task, um, uh, let me just skip past it. Uh, um, the, there, was a, there was a threefold task that we find in those six verses that we just read. Simply put, number one, he was to lead God's people into the land. Let's just think about that for a second. Were the Israelites known for being very leadable? Let's think, that, think about it, right? I mean, after all that they had seen, and then they get out there and well, they're complaining about food. Or they're complaining about water. And after, right after seeing the plagues and crossing the, the, the uh, uh, Red Sea, they're collecting all their earrings and rings and fashioning an image of their own God. And they raise them up and they say, this is Elohim. This is God who delivered you from Egypt. They're giving the credit that God deserves to gold. Lifeless gold. Just the thought of leading those people, that must have sat heavy on, on his shoulders. Not only that, uh, uh, the second thing he was asked to do in those verses, he was, uh, he was asked to defeat the enemy occupants. Now this is a picture of David and Goliath, and I know this is a different time frame, but I put that picture in there. Why? Because if you remember when Joshua saw and he, he spied out the land, when he came back, what did he say? There are giants in the land. Okay? So, so we're not talking about just attacking some, some enemy farmers in their tents. We're talking about trained men, giants, in fortified cities with armies. And what have the Israelites been doing for the last 40 years? Hanging out in the desert, raising sheep. Humanly speaking, that doesn't seem like great preparation for going into battle. Humanly speaking. Really, from a theological perspective, it 
perfect training, isn't it? God trained several great leaders in the scriptures by raising sheep, did he not? And uh, there's, there's great things there. But from a human perspective, that must have sat heavy on him too, seeing just the size of the enemies. And he's told, you're gonna, you have to go in and defeat the enemies. And the last thing would be to, uh, to claim the inheritance. In these verses that we just read, it gives, a, it gives the geographical description of the land. It's a large amount of land. It's about, it's roughly the size of New Jersey, but a whole lot nicer and smells a whole lot better, right? Well, I didn't know anyone, anyone from New Jersey, did I? <laughs> but it's about the size of it. That's a big task for him to take a, a group of wanderers and say, we're going to divide up this task. So just the thought of doing that, I can imagine would make him feel nervous. So new leadership is a scary thing. Change is a scary thing. Uh, in fact, when I think about it, and I love this picture, but <laughs> put, put it on. That feeling that you get when all of a sudden you realize, I can't do what I'm being asked to do. And that's a scary thought. But there's good news for that. There's good news for that as we read this. In fact, today, when I look, as we, we, we come towards the application side of uh, what we're reading today, I want us to think through three constants that should encourage us during times of transition. What I mean by that, three constants, three things that don't change. Because in the midst of transition, there's change, right? Change in leadership, different kinds of things. Even if you, when you try not to change things, things will change. It's just the way, the way things are. Change can be a scary thing, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, but I want to look at three things that don't change, that should bring us some encouragement during the time of change. Amen? Let's do that. The first one is we have the same promise. Let's look at verses uh, 2 through 4 one more time. <clears throat> Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and of the great sea, toward uh, the going down of the sun shall be your territory. The promise that actually began all the way back in Genesis 12 doesn't change. It is constant. He promised it to Abraham. He said, this is what your descendants are going to experience. And no matter how many generations come and go, when you see things from the eternal perspective that God has, those things don't change. God is still going to keep every one of his promises. Amen. Isn't that amazing? Now, I should hear a few more amens to that, probably because when you think about the promises that God has given to us, why? God has promised us eternal life, for one. That's just to get us started, right? And, and the promises of God will never fail. That should give us some real comfort. Secondly, uh, uh, well, let me just uh, uh, reiterate. The, th the promise was, we see the language of giving in, in verses 2 through 4. It says, I have given you the land. I have given it to you. This shall be your territory. You know, when you think about trying to earn something, it can be very intimidating, isn't it? But really, when it comes to almost everything that has every blessing in Christianity, really, it's not about earning, is it? It's about receiving a gift right down to our salvation. It is a gift of God. Not by works, lest any man should boast, right? 
And so we see the same promise, and we see that it's not conditioned upon our deserving it. It's conditioned upon the faithfulness of the God who promised it to begin with. Amen? The second thing, uh, the same protection. Same protection. Like, uh, let's look at uh, verse 5, verse, uh, the first half of verse 5. There's no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Uh, the idea here behind uh, the Hebrew words of standing before you is it's almost standing against, standing in opposition. In other words, no one is going to be able to, to put up with you. Uh, you're going to be able to win every victory. Now think about that. No one's going to be able to stand against him. Why? Because he's standing with, with God. So it doesn't matter what the numbers are. And these are some lessons that if you read Genesis through Deuteronomy, we see that multiple times where it's not necessarily the side that has more soldiers or the side that has the better trained men who wins. Whatever side God is on. Right? And we see that. And, and God is saying, you shall, or no man, no man shall stand or be able to stand against you. What an encouragement, especially when you're fighting giants. Right? And, we, and uh, God is going to take that lesson, and over time, we're going to see in the next weeks and months how God teaches those lessons to Joshua and to the, the people of Israel. But we see that we have that same promise of protection. When, when God said, no man shall be able to stand against you. Does God promise to protect us too, or is this just something yeah. for Joshua? No. Does he, he does. He promises to protect us. And uh, do you think any of us will, will ever die a day before God intends for us to die? No. Do you think God's going to allow anything to happen to us that is outside the realm of what he is designed for our good? No. Romans 8 says clearly all things work together uh, for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purposes. Amen? And so we have the same protection that we saw with Moses, now we see it in the life of Joshua, and really, if we look at history, we can see it in our own lives today. In the third constant, we see the same presence, the same presence of God. Let's uh, look at verse 5, the second half. Uh, second half reads, As I was with Moses, so I will be and we know that God is omnipresent. We know that God is everywhere present. But he's saying, I will be present in the same way that I was present with Moses. Well, how was God present with Moses? He spoke to him. In, remember the burning bush? Right? He, he gave him power uh, uh, to do miracles before Pharaoh. It was through Moses that God accomplished the place. It was through Moses that he crossed the Red Sea. It was through Moses that, they, that he got water from a rock and that he sent manna and so on and so on. And God is saying, Joshua, I'm going to be with you in the same way. We have the same promise of God's presence. I like the way uh, that he put it, that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Um, and as, as God promises that he's going to be with him in the same way that he was with Moses, really, we can, we can hang on to that too. Did you know that that promise is repeated to us in Hebrews when it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you? Really, you don't even have to go that far in the New Testament. You can go straight to the Great Commission, where, where all of this begins. And what does Jesus say at the end of the Great Commission? Lo, what? I am with you always, even to? Yeah. Have we gotten there yet? No. And is he still with us? Yeah. He absolutely is with us. And so I don't know about you. But that's an, that's an encouragement to me because things will change. My location may change. We had to go through some location changes because we were 
we were happy and content in Central America, if you can believe that, right? That means we're obviously there because we were content because we were right where we knew God wanted us at that time. It's scary to come back to the United States. It's scary to uh, change situations in life. But you know what? Those things can change as long as the presence of God doesn't change. Because that presence of God comes with me. Without that, then I, I don't know what we would do. But the presence of God has not left Heritage Baptist Church. It hasn't left the Grace family. It's, we see the presence of God as we obey Him. And we see Him provide in miraculous, miraculous ways. I think I'd like to point out one thing that, that, that I find interesting as we look at the threefold task. Compared to the three constants, I think we see that, uh, that God is providing exactly what Joshua needed. I know you probably can't read those, but I'll just re reiterate what those are. Uh, remember that the first task was to lead the people into the promised land. But what was the constant? The first constant was, uh, when you look at his provision, every place the sole of your foot shall tread upon, I've given you. We see the promise of God saying, Okay, this is your task. I'm going to match the task with the promise to make that task doable. Right? We look at the second, uh, the second one. He was to defeat the enemy occupants, but God says, well, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. So I'm giving you this huge task, but I'm also going to give you the grace to make sure you can accomplish that task. And then he was... Uh, or he was to claim the inheritance. And he said, and God said, as I was uh, with Moses, so I'll be with you. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their forefathers to give them. God's saying, it's going to happen. Yep. I'm giving you a huge task, but it's not about you. It's about God. And God is saying, I'm going to make sure this happens. That ought to give us courage. You know, last uh, Thursday after after working here at the office, uh, my son and I went to, uh, at the name of the gym, but it's a little rock climbing gym. Uh, and uh, just a place where you can climb rocks, but inside. And uh, it can be a scary task, especially for someone who hasn't done a lot of climbing. Right? But when you go to climb up these rocks, and they're maybe 30, 35 feet high, they're not huge, but high enough that you don't want to fall from, from them, right? You go to climb, that can be a scary thought. But what makes it not so scary. What gives us the courage to try things, maybe even lunge for some, some handholds or whatever? It's knowing that there's a rope connected to you. And it goes through some gear, and it comes back down to a, what they call a belayer, uh, the person who's the anchor. And every time you take a step up, they pull up the slack. And, uh, and as, as we do that, you can, can be, you can be confident. Why? Because you know that you have an anchor on the other end of that rope. Does that make sense? And, and God is saying to Joshua, Joshua, you are about to embark in something that is scary. And in fact, usually if someone tells you three times, now be strong, be courageous, you know something's coming, right? And so Joshua is hearing this multiple times, and God's saying, be strong, be courageous. I'm giving you a huge task, God is saying. But who's on the other end of that rope? Who's holding it? Who's in control? And God is saying, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. And God is saying the same thing to us. If we're involved in the Great Commission, if we're, if we're His children, then guess what? His presence is with us in the exact same way today. And that ought to give us encouragement 
during these times of transition. Amen? Amen. And I don't know about you, but I find that exciting, and I find that an encouragement to me uh, as, we, as we begin our movement in this. You know, some of you might be coming today, and, and you're, you're, you might be feeling defeated by different things going on in life. I don't know what it is that's going on in your life, but you might be coming here today. Uh, but I just want to remind you that every place where you step your foot, God's there. He's going to provide you every victory that you need. And guess what? We're victors. We've read the end of the book, right? We're victors. Or maybe some of you are coming worried about obstacles between where we are now and where God wants us to be. If you're not worried about any of those things, then, then, then that's abnormal, right? We should be worried about those things. But you know what? God's saying, no man will be able to stand against you when you're doing what God's called you to do. And some of you might be feeling alone. What, what it, whatever your place in ministry is, what you're doing, and you might feel alone, but guess what? It's impossible to be alone because the presence of God is with us and will not fail. If you haven't experienced any of those things, it's possible that someone might be here today and you've never experienced any of these things. You're not sure what it means to really understand the presence of God in your life. It's possible that, there might, that you might not know Jesus Christ personally as your Lord and Savior. And if that's you today... Don't be ashamed of that. Just come forward when we have a chance to sing in a few moments. I want to ask you to just come and talk to me. I'll be right here in the, in the front row. And if there are more than one, two, three people that come, I will direct you to someone who can show you from God's word how you can leave today knowing 100% sure you have a relationship with God and his presence will be with you 100% of the time. And don't leave today without making sure of that. There might be uh, some of you, you know that. It's up here. But you just needed to hear from Joshua and be reminded of God's presence. Because we're all there sometimes. We forget the presence of God. We forget what he's doing. And just to, to, just to, to take all the worries and cares and cast them back onto the Lord and say, Lord, I cast my cares on you. That's what it means, is to understand these concepts, that this, the Lord is taking care of us. And so I would like to invite anyone who's saying, if you want to come up and just pray by yourself. You can't, or pray from your seat. And say, Lord, I surrender my worries. I surrender those things to you. And I'm encouraged to see what you're going to do in my life. There's a... Uh, too far. The, the application we find really comes in verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. For, to, for uh, to this people you shall divide us inheritance, the land which I swore to their fathers to give. One application for us today. Be strong. Have good courage. Because God is going to accomplish everything he wants to accomplish. You know, change can be a scary thing. I, I know that you, you probably can't read the, the words to this. But here you have a picture of, of a, a butterfly coming out of its cocoon. And there's a, a quote that says, Change is the essence of life. Be willing to surrender what you are for what you can become. I would like to change that a little bit in light of Joshua and say, Be willing to surrender what you are for what God is going to Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the encouragement that this text has been to me during the week as I've studied for this. And I pray, Lord, that it would be an encouragement to everyone here, too. That even though that there are things that change, with change of leadership and so on, that could be a scary time. But Lord, help us to be strong. Help us to be courageous. Because I know that what you what you really want for us 
is amazing. What you want us to accomplish and, and the souls you want us to reach, the people you want us to tell about Christ, is probably so much bigger a vision than we could even imagine right now. But Lord, we pray that you would use us to do those great and mighty things. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are. I pray this in Christ's name.